Welcome to the Love Fly podcast. This is Paul Tizard, Fear of Flying coach for 25 years. Today's special guest is Jeff Rolls, who's a master NLP trainer, works all around the world with Paul McKenna and Richard Bandler, and he is a great guy. Now, before we start the interview, just want to warn you, there are some moments of relaxation or visualisation in this podcast, so it might be worthwhile not listening to this whilst you're driving. Well, welcome, Jeff. Today, the reason I've asked Jeff to come along is I did a very short NLP introduction during my uh, one of my earlier podcasts when I was just thinking about different therapies that help. And but I've been meaning to for a long time to get people on at your level who you train NLPers, and you've been doing it for years. So maybe you could just give people a bit of a flavour of your NLP journey story. Yeah, sure. It's uh, probably a little bit of an unusual one because I hadn't gone looking for NLP. But many years ago, and this is probably about 30 years ago, I was working in in food retail and I was a food retail manager and I worked my way up through and having different jobs. And at the time, we were in a situation where myself and my now wife, and we've been married for 26 years, bought our first house. But as you'll probably understand, and maybe some of your listeners understand, your first house purchase is uh, whilst an, a massive amount of money. It also means you've got to do a lot of work on it before you go and want to move in. And every spare hour that I had when I was working shifts, as well as a, a Sunday, was spent over at the house trying to make it livable, um, dealing with house longhorn beetle, dry rot, wet, you know, wet rot, you know, whatever it was and painting and decorating and stuff like that. But um, on a Sunday morning, there was, uh, we used to listen to the radio and we'd listen to, and it's still going, Capital Radio, Capital FM from the Rocking Tower. So that's really dating it now. And one presenter that was on on a Sunday morning was, was Paul McKenna. He was on between 10 and one. And we were liking all the, all the banging tunes that he was knocking out. And it, it, I was just interested in, you know, sometimes how he used to make the programme go. He was quite funny, a bit nerdy. But we just got used to listening to Paul on a Sunday morning when we were over there sawing and painting and mm. scraping and any number of other things. And after a few months, I remember Paul saying, he said, well, I'm going to be doing a show. I've been learning stuff about hypnosis. And what I'm going to be doing, I've, I've actually booked that I'm going to do a stage hypnosis show. And we're going to be doing it at the St. Martin's Lane Theatre. And yeah, hopefully it's going to be a bit of fun. So any of my listeners, obviously, I'd love you to come along. There was a great deal price. I don't know, it's probably about a five. It really wasn't a huge amount of money. But, you know, come, come along. And it was on a Sunday evening. Well, you know, Sundays we were busy there anyway. But I think by this time, I think we've got the shower working, which was quite handy. And it gave us an opportunity to decide, well, we'll go along. We couldn't go to the first one. I think we went along to the second one, settled down into the audience and recognised that he did all these things with, with, with people, uh, what we later understood to be called a suggestibility technique. And he asked for, for volunteers, obviously because he wanted some people to be on stage with him. Uh, now, I didn't put myself forward, but I watched and I listened and I watched and listened. This must have taken 15, 20 minutes. And, mm. and this is before stuff was going up on the stage. But he held everybody's attention and then various people were doing various different things. 
anyway, the, the long and short of that was there was a number of people that were picked by him and they were sent up onto the stage to go and sit on the seat. And then very, very quickly, everyone else was set back to their seat. And, and then Paul went along and stuck them into a really heavy duty trance. And for the, for the next 90, 120 minutes, along with a break as well, he got them to do all kinds of different activities. I've not seen anything like this. I laugh my ass off, honestly. I've never seen anything like it. Still to this day, it's still probably one of the funniest things I'd ever had. But then there was part of me that thought, this can't be real, though, can it? He must have got stooges in the audience to go along and, uh, and actually go along and do this. Perhaps we might engineer an opportunity to go back and see him again. Anyway, a few weeks went by and I thought, well, I'd really like to go again. So, so I said, yeah, well, let's, let's book some tickets. I think this time I took my sister as well. And we went along in there. But this time, when he was asking for volunteers, I thought, well, you know, nothing mentioned, nothing gained. I'm going to go and put myself forward oh and my um, just God. see what happens. You know, yeah, see what happens. <laughs> Not expecting anything. I'm dressed in a pair of tatty old jeans, a great big thick um, jumper. Didn't, you know, I probably not even comb my hair. You know, I looked a right state. In fact, I could have been the prime minister, I suppose, nowadays. But anyway, I wasn't at that time. And bizarrely, I was one of the few people that was picked to go up on stage. The thing was, though, he stuck us into a trance. It's obviously the, the test that he was doing, I was massively suggestible to. But whenever he said that there was an activity for me to do, that's exactly what I went along and did. And I knew that I was in a theatre because I knew that I booked and paid my ticket. I knew I was on stage. I knew there was hundreds and hundreds of people in the audience. But that time that he said to me, you know, Jeff, you're in the, uh, the Grand National and you're racing up against, can't remember the other guy's name. <laughs> He sat, me on a, he sat me on a chair, and this is one of a number of things that we did, and, uh, and he said, everyone else on the stage, they put money on you, and he gave them bits of paper, because they thought it was money, uh, and they were laying bets, and then you got half the theatre each to go along and support you. Well, when he said, I sat on the chair, and honestly, it felt like I had a saddle underneath, I'd never ridden, by the way, it felt like I was riding this horse, but then he starts going on, and, and they're off, and... Oh, I was galloping off and honestly I told onto the back of my chair as I sort of rocketed down towards the front of the stage disappearing off towards the orchestra stalls managed to get me there but every time he said I went over a jump I went over a jump the audience was screaming and shouting the people behind me as far as I was concerned I was you know uh, you know some jump jockey and yeah, it was absolutely brilliant and yet I still oh, knew man. where I was and one other little exercise you got me to do in the half-time break where people were sent off to go to the bar and get their ice creams and, and, and nuts or whatever else they were going to have, some of us were given jobs to do. I don't know what all the others were given to do because I was very focused on my job. And he said, Jeff, when, when you wake up, you're the manager of the St. Martin's Lane Theatre. You're very, very proud about everything that goes on in here. You love people to have a good time, but you don't like untidiness you don't like litter and things like that. And you're not afraid of sharing your information with people. So then you know, the safety curtain came down. <laughs> I disappeared off the stage with various other people off to do other jobs. I don't know what he'd given them to do. And I was shouting at people, get your feet down off those, uh, get your feet down off those chairs. Because, you know, do you know how much money it cost me to get them cleaned and things like that? And I was saying these sorts of things to people. Other people coming up to me and saying, what a wonderful job I was doing. I said, oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate, appreciate your patronage. 
And then I wandered out into the bar area and then stood up on the table and said, drinks are on the house. By which time, of course, they had to bring me back again because it was all getting <laughs> a little bit out of control and then went off and did the second half. But I think the thing is, it was an incredible experience. That is so and, and, funny. And, and Paul himself was so kind because... At the end of the show, because obviously he sort of said, well, you, you know, you, you guys and girls are the star of the show. And this is actually what it was all about. But he was very generous in that, you know, he gave his tickets to come and see it again. He explained a little bit about what had gone on and he almost like debriefed us. But he also had uh, information about, you know, if you're interested to learn a bit about hypnosis, here's some like, reading list, here's my contact details as well. Just let me know you get on because I'm wondering what else I can do with it. And uh, it sort of parked and lodged in my brain for quite some time. Mm. But that was my introduction to hypnosis. And then the NLP uh, came along the way, which I can talk to you about in a bit. Yeah, I think I've been to one of his shows. It is the funniest thing I've probably ever been to. I wasn't brave enough to volunteer. So you're one of those people that it's just I've done it. It's just hilarious. So then you moved into the NLP because I know for a lot of people, like I said this during my talk, I was talking about the history of NLP and the fact that hypnosis, who they studied. I was talking about the fact that when the NLP creators, who you've obviously worked with now, and who they studied, and Ericsson being one of those hypnotherapists that was around at the time. So there are roots. You know, back to Fritz Perls and um, Virginia Satir, is that the... Virginia Satir, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, so, the, so the, the link is well known. But then how did you then become so involved in NLP? Well, I think the thing is, what, what I hadn't realised at the time is this experience on stage had lit a little bit of a, a fuse somewhere or other in, inside Jeff. And I didn't really know what it was, but... I did. I, I bought um, one of the books that was on the list and I just started reading it. In fact, one of the books I read, I remember reading one paragraph again and again and again. And the reason I did that is just every time I read the paragraph, my eyes would shut and, and I couldn't remember it. And it was so confusing. And then I'd go back and try and read it again. And again, my eyes would shut. So I started realising there, there was something in that. And Again, what had happened, I, I think it might have even been for a Christmas present. I think my wife might have bought me a Paul McKenna book and it was almost like yeah, the wonderful hypnotic world of Paul McKenna or something like that. And, and But in there, he'd started actually saying about what he was now going to be studying, the, the, the NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And so I, I, I learned a little bit about it. And then I was in retail. I went from one retailer to another, was, was headhunted, spent some time in the stores. But what I've been doing by reading these books is inadvertently doing a thing that we call modeling. And that's not wandering up and down the catwalk, shaking my tush or whatever, although, you know, I'd like to think that I was able to do that. But modeling is something that as human beings, we do naturally. So when we're around other people, as you know, we, we end up, acquiring skills um sometimes it takes a period of time and one of the best examples of that might well be is that, that, that when we're born you know we we learn effectively to, to to make sounds they become intelligible and then eventually they turn into words into phrases into sentences and then you know also with your ability to be able to, to walk you know we would get onto our tummies we maybe start crawling around a bit 
then we pull ourselves up, then we fall down, we pull ourselves up, we fall down. Like Paul McKenna himself says, he said, you know, the parents don't sort of go, oh, do you know, Jeff, he's never going to be a walker. The modelling uh, that human beings are able to do is we, we set ourselves a, a goal, we set ourselves a direction, and as a result, we are able to go along and do it with huge amounts of determination and practice in order to make that happen. And of course, what I began to recognise with that is, oh yeah, so so actually we, we learn far easier when we're not having to learn it. Because mm. when I think back to school, the only thing I was actually ever any good at at school was French. And, and the reason for that was I used to do an exchange trip to France every year. My French teachers just totally enthused everything and we did everything in French anyway. But it was exciting. It was good fun. They, they made the whole process of learning easy. And it was interesting that uh, even going back to the walking and talking bit, that uh, the, the famous American writer uh, Mark Twain said, because, you know, when people sort of realise actually how simple learning is, they sort of almost like overcomplicate it. And he said, he said, if we were taught to walk and talk the way we were taught to read and write we would limp and stutter because mm. of course when we get taught to read and write we're taught it rather than learning it and yes we do sort of learning along the way anyway but we're given instruction but our ability to deal with instruction varies from person to person in fact if you look at my writing now i mean i can't really read it um so i don't write a huge amount now apart from tapping it out on the keyboard but modeling was actually what everything was about and what i started understanding was that maybe i'd modeled some of paul's language by reading books by richard bandler and john grinder the co-creators of the field of nlp I was just beginning to model almost like how some of their sentences came together, but I wasn't doing it on purpose. I was doing it quite naturally and almost like mm. some of the things they may well have said or the phrases that they may well have used had an effect. And I recognised when I was uh, managing stores in, in central London that we had thousands and thousands of customers and, you know, the customers could be retail customers. They could be customers in an airline and obviously re recognize the, the theme of what we're talking about here. And it's, in, it's, you know, customer service is something when I love it. I absolutely really, really love customer service. And yet it's quite difficult and it's difficult because we're dealing with people and people have good days and they have not such good days. And a lot of my customers had not such good days quite often. So being able to deal with some of their issues, but being able to deal with them in such a way where we kept rapport because we obviously wanted to keep them as a customer and yet still made them feel important because they, if they had an issue, there was a way of sharing that information. And what I, what I recognised was, is I was actually employing a lot of what we call the Milton model patterns of how I communicated. My jump actually into NLP only happened because I tried to do it when I was in training and development in that company mm. and started doing some other little courses online and learned a fair bit. But it was only when I then contacted Paul and went along and actually trained with Paul and with Richard Brandler, I had my first proper experience, but proper experience with one of the main guys himself. And it was phenomenal because it was in a similar way to my going on a French exchange trip and being total immersion, spending a day, uh, spending a week with Paul McKenna, who was exceptionally well known at the time, still very well known, Dr. Bandler, one of the co-creators and some other amazing facilitators, amazing assisting team. I couldn't help but learn it. And it was just a hell of a lot of fun. And that happened probably back in the early 2000s. So, you know, all getting on for 20 years ago now.
Yeah, that's impre- impressive. And do you still work? Because my understanding was that when I was working with you and we were running the Flying Without Fear program, you'd come in and stand in for Jill and but do it in your own way. And I was always fascinated by how much you did naturally. But that side, I seem to recall that you were still working with Paul and, and he was flying you around to go and do his... Is that still the case? Well, it was still, in fact, ironically, before we had lockdown, the last time I was up in, uh, in London, I was w- working with Paul McKenna. He was doing a, an evening with Paul McKenna up at Regents College. Uh, I went up, had a couple of students that had learned with myself and June, my colleague who teach NLP. And he had a room of 350 people, basically just giving him an introduction about what NLP is, but also what personal development is all about, what sorts of things you can do to go mm. along and improve yourself. So I've been you know, assisting Paul with, with his courses for a long time. And therefore also with, with Dr. Richard Bander and been, I think I've assisted on all of his courses since 2007 in, in the UK. And what it effectively means is, is that these courses are run from the front of the room in, in a seminar style, but they're done in a way where we often use metaphor. We use a lot of story to actually teach what's going on so that we can get an idea about what, what needs to go on for people to learn some of these skills and techniques but then as a member of the assisting team as a trainer of NLP we then have to break down some of the skills and some of the techniques and we're the people that run those parts of the seminar and we make sure that the students have got the skills and the techniques because there's there's many people around the world that say oh yeah I've trained in NLP I've got an NLP certificate yeah great but are you doing it or not because Mm. the thing is is actually that's what it's really all about and I think this is what we always like to do, whether we're doing it in London with Dr. Bander and, and, and Paul McKenna, or whether I'm doing it with my colleague June down near, down near Gatwick Airport. We want people to be able to go along and do it. You know, you can sit on an online forum and pontificate about whether something's NLP or not. I don't really care. The thing is, is does it work? If it works, do it again. If it doesn't, stop doing it and do something else. Love it. I love your simplicity, Jeff. So you've got to tell me, so I've, I've done my training with them as well, but not to the level that you've gone to. I found Richard Bandler fascinating and scary in equal measure. Is, is that a fair assessment? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think so. You know, like I say, I've been very fortunate to, you know, be, be one of his assisting team for, for a long, long time. And yeah, he's the initial viewing and the initial uh, meeting when people see him, because for, for most people, certainly back in the early 2000s, they were aware of who Paul McKenna was, but they weren't really aware of who Richard Bandler was. And, you know, I remember even the first time that I think I saw him on stage and he, and he came up on stage. He, he was a little unwell at the time, but he came up on stage, plonked himself down on a, on a swivel chair picked up a big bottle of, uh, of uh, Perrier or something like that, drank a load of it, and then just spat it out. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, it certainly captured everybody's attention very, very quickly. But interestingly, with people around us as well, he, he, he's very, very fond of using the full range of the English language. And by that, I mean very comfortable with expletives, uh, as am I. But what, of course, we begin to learn is, is the expletives themselves actually help engineer a slight state of mind change in the audience. So it's done not just for effect, but it's done because he 
desperately wants for people to learn how to do this well. Mm. But by breaking the patterns they happen to have been in, to go into a, a state of learning and amazing curiosity, he does that in a number of different ways. And whilst I've you know, been fortunate to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours with him, no two seminars are ever the same. We may have heard some of the stories, and yet each time we hear the story, there's something completely different in it because it's used for a different effect to teach another aspect of what the whole field of NLP is all about. So uh, is he scary? Yeah, I mean, he used to be a he used to be a hell's angel, you know. After all, you know, and he used to tell various different stories about things that went on about his uh, ability to redress situations using his fists and what have you. Um, he doesn't do that anymore. He, he, but yeah, I think some people might still find him fierce. We love him, you know. He's absolutely brilliant. He's 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 got a heart of gold. He desperately cares. And yet um, what he wants for students to want to do is to go along and do it. You know, it's his life's work. Like I say he created it all with John Grinder 40, 50 years ago. Both of them are developing it in their own way. And the world's a better place because of it, I think. And uh, I feel massively fortunate that I happen to be in the right place at the right time and to have him, his right hand people mentor us to make sure that we're good because we have to train in front of him so he's in the room and we have to train stuff so it's it's like being in a, oh, a physics lab with scary. einstein yeah uh, well okay. it, it, the first time maybe but then you recognize well this is what we've got to do and yeah. it's about stretching ourselves my, you know my most stretching seminar that i did with him was when i did my trainer training i mean like you paul i've been used to standing in front of groups of people for many many years and and was happy doing it but I was stretched in any number of different directions over the course of about a week. And it was uncomfortable at times. And it was OK. It was OK that it was uncomfortable because we got taught to use NLP to teach NLP, but also to use NLP to share any information in a particular way. So to, to learn how to use it in some sort of platform skill and then learn to become more dexterous with our language and to pay more attention to what goes on. Well, yes, I would say I've noticed I couldn't work out what you do because you're a clever bugger. But when you did the Flying Without Fear courses, which is my previous thing, you used to do some things and you talk to people in a certain way. And I think he's doing something. I have no idea what he's doing, but it's helping people. You know, ultimately, what was really good about the Flying Without Fear course and what you're doing now is people came along they invested their time, they invested some money, they put their trust in you and the team and the, the airline, and they knew that by spending a day, already things were going to go along and change. And if you like, that was probably also because of how you advertised it, you know, it was very well advertised. There was some great feedback, there were some great quotes and what have you. And quotes themselves are massively hypnotic. Uh, they're, they're a pattern in, in what we call the Milton pattern, uh, in, in terms of what they call patterns and metaphor. When you quote someone, you can say whatever you like if you attribute it to someone else. And no one will ever challenge what it is that you said because someone else has actually said it. So whenever you've had some of those quotes, those things happen. So when we tell a story and we might quote someone else, you know, I was talking to John the other day and he said, you can really relax while you're here. 
Uh, and I said to him, that's a really good idea. Now, <laughs> so I was so asleep actually, then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it worked. So, so the idea is actually this is this is to be shared with everyone that happens yeah. to be in the room and we mark it out in a particular way. But above all, also, we do it to ensure that people can have fun, because as you know, particularly with what it is that you, you were doing before and what you're doing now, when people can learn to have a little bit of fun, or one, they learn really, really quickly. Secondly, they remember it and they feel empowered that they could go along and do this again and again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. And, you know, spending that time with, with you guys and with you now is massively beneficial because they previously thought the action of actually getting into an aircraft and actually flying from one place to another was in some way restricting. And you're able to very, very quickly get them to understand it's a learned behavior. We can unlearn this and in its place at the same time, we can put something else to, uh, instead. Yeah, you're on, the, you're on the money there. So, Lovely. yeah, I, I was thinking that people that listen to this are always looking for some tips and things. and. And I know you are amazing. I've seen you do some corporate stuff where you've had very difficult groups I've brought you in front of and you've won them over uh, in your, I don't know how you did it, but you did. And I've seen you work with room, you know, hundreds of nervous flyers and they just, I see a transformation go on. So what I'm going to, I don't know if you can do this on a podcast or not, but is there something that you could perhaps say that would help? people who yeah. are struggling with this fear of flying. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, let, let's have even see if I can share a couple of uh, techniques. And whilst I recognize this is audio, one, this will test me out to see if I can describe it properly. And yet, hopefully, if people can uh, just come along with this, it, they might begin to notice that. The first thing I might look at is something that is useful for all sorts of things not just learning to feel comfortable when, when we're going to fly from one place to another but just learning to listen a little bit better and that's doing something in relation to our internal dialogue and then the second thing i think i might like to share with you is something to do with our eye movement and our eye position again in relation to a feeling that we may have had and finding a way of neutralizing it. So finding a way of actually going, okay, I've got some sort of control over what goes on. Because interestingly enough, we, we recognize from people that you know previously had an issue with flying, it is a feeling that they generate themselves. It could be kicked off by any number of different things. But what they forget, or maybe what they're not aware of, is that because they're doing it, they can learn to stop doing it and learn to do something else in its place. So Brilliant. what I thought I might just share with you is a little technique that actually I've done also with children in the past. Now I can see you and you can see me and we, we, we'll do this. We'll do this uh, so you can see me. And this, is, this will seem a little bit silly, by the way. But what I want you to do at the moment, Paul, and the, the, for all the listeners as well, what I want you to do is just to pay attention to when you talk to yourself, where do you actually hear your voice? So if you're going to say a sentence to yourself on the inside, and it could be something as simple as the cat sat on the mat. In fact, it probably is that because you probably can't think of anything else at the moment. But if you just say that to yourself on the inside, inside your head, inside your body, just say it to yourself now. Just you have a go at that, Paul, as well. And I'm going to have a little go. You know, I know it doesn't make great podcasts, but I've nailed I it. Hear, yeah, I can hear my voice about there. Where's yours, Paul? Uh, probably describing it now, but just yeah. uh, top. If I go top. from the top of my head, but down a bit. So sort of in almost in the middle of my head. 
Okay, top of the head and down. Mine's similar, but slightly over to the right. Um, and for, for the listeners, it might be in a different place. And by the way, it doesn't matter. Now, what you could do is if you put, if you imagine putting the, your voice on the end of your index finger and now holding your hand out at arm's length and now just listen to your voice from there and now notice what the difference is. Now, some people might say, hmm, maybe it's a bit quieter, maybe it's a bit more distant. You probably didn't realize you could actually move it around. Some people hear their, their voice from inside their body, uh, you know, in their, in their chest. I've not come across anybody necessarily hearing their voice from their ass just yet, but I think we've all worked with some people that do that. <laughs> anyway, you probably weren't aware of the fact that you, you, you can actually move this around to some extent, but there's a lovely little technique that actually I, I picked up from a guy called Eric Robbie, who, who's a, an incredible NLP trainer uh, that, that does a lot of work in terms of what we call sensory acuity, getting used to paying attention to things in all the senses. And something to help just quieten the, the, the mind is, is this. I'll get you to poke your tongue out in a moment, Paul. And when you poke your tongue out, I want you to grab hold of it with, 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 with your fingers. I'll do the same just for a few seconds, but then I'm going to let go because I want to talk to you. I want to talk to the listeners while they're doing the same thing. So poke your tongue out, grab hold of it. Now, I'm just going to let go of my tongue and you can be aware of the fact that you're holding on to your tongue and you can pay attention to the words that I'm saying. Not only paying attention to the words that I'm saying, but you can also pay attention to the spaces in between the words that I'm saying, because they become even more apparent too. Maybe whilst you're also doing that, pay attention to which part of your body begins to relax first, whether it's the top half of the body or the lower half, maybe it's the right before the left or maybe the back before the front, but just pay attention to where that is. And now notice, where's your internal voice gone? Sorry, I had to release my tongue. <laughs> you had to release your tongue. It's, yeah. Just gets quieter, doesn't it? Mm. And, and, and what we've recognised is the tongue's position and its ability to move within the mouth is what generates what we recognise as internal dialogue. Thinking. Just, just for a moment, Jeff, I had this image there. Someone listening to the podcast, driving in their car, yeah. <laughs> pulling their tongue out. And yeah. Uh, yeah, well, do it safely. That's what I'm going to say. Do it safely. Do it safely. I'm, I'm sorry that you might dribble down your front. I apologise because I'm going to show you a much, much better way of doing it. But yeah, what we recognise is that the, the, the position of the tongue, when you're holding the tongue in that particular position, it prevents it from moving and therefore enunciating the words you normally hear on the inside of the back of your head or for some other people it might be in their chest, in their back. It stops it from happening and your focus of attention very much moves to the outside. I drew your attention to the words, spaces in between the words, maybe got you to pay attention to how your body was feeling. And the thing is with that, that helps you to do this thing that we call listening. Now, if you look at the word listen and how we spell the word listen in English, L-I-S-T-E-N, you can rearrange the letters of those to make a number of different words. I mean, you can have inlets, you can have enlist. Christmas time, you could have tinsel, but the most important word you can get when you rearrange the letters of listen is, of course, the word silent. So when you learn to become silent on the inside, your ability to listen goes up. And that's great when you're learning to love flying, uh, spending time with you, Paul, uh, or anyone else that you know wants to be able to learn to listen exceptionally well. But the thing is, you, you dribble down your front. So we've got to find a better way of doing it. So the way that we can do that is if you imagine now, you, you might have got a favourite food. Have you got a favourite food, Paul? What would it be? First thing that springs to mind, lasagna. 
Okay, so you could imagine just a delicious small portion of lasagna now on the tip of your tongue. And for all the listeners, whether it's lasagna, it could be chocolate, it could be, you know, I don't know, anything for that matter. I want you now to just imagine there's a very small portion of your favourite food on the end of the tip of your tongue. But the tip of your tongue very, very lightly up behind the back of your top front teeth, just where they meet the roof of the mouth. So it's stuck up in a position it would never normally be. Close your mouth, relax your jaw, but now pull the tongue back ever so slightly. So the tongue's sort of touching but not touching it's in contact with in your case Paul your lasagna and the lasagna has just been lightly held up behind the back of the top front teeth and yet your tongue is touching but not touching the jaw's really relaxed and if your jaw's really relaxed it could well be that the rest of the body begins to relax too again it's really easy for you to notice the words I'm saying really easy for you to notice spaces in between the words I'm saying maybe you notice that your peripheral vision just gets a bit wider maybe you're aware of more maybe you can listen even better maybe those feelings in the body because it's a little bit more relaxed just can spread maybe smells and tastes become even stronger too but when you do that Best of all, no one else knows what on earth you're doing. And if you do this and you practice this, you'll be the best listener, probably in your household, probably within, I don't know, a few hundred metres, maybe a few hundred miles radius, depending upon where you're listening to this. I suppose people are listening in Tristan de Kuna, are they, and places like that. So you can do that. And what we do recognise is, bearing in mind, we're trying to get people as relaxed as possible when they're going through the process of, you know, getting on board an aeroplane and having a wonderful trip somewhere, is if we can learn to calm it down by silencing the internal dialogue just temporarily, this could enable them to just allow the relaxation to fill the gaps. How's that? That was like a masterclass. Brilliant. That was like, that was like so clever and subtle that I was reminded, it was was honestly like a little aid memoir of my NLP course. I was suddenly remembering all the things I'd forgotten. Fantastic. Well, that's good then. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. So it's good. Have you ever had to deal with any of your own fears as a random question? Do you know, I've been, I think I've been sort of somewhat lucky. I've had very, very few fears. When I was a lot younger, I was a bit fearful of moths and probably just the haphazard way that they would bang into windows and doors and lights and the fact they were a bit sort of fat and and they weren't as colourful and pretty as as butterflies. And that's not fair because actually one of our closest friends is very into moss and I've learned a lot more and they're they're beautiful, beautiful creatures. So I think I was just a bit worried about their, their movement. But when I compare it to certain people that have had proper phobias, of flying or of spiders or of snakes or of needles in particular appropriate at the moment really no I haven't had massive issues but I've had anxieties absolutely and you know the thing is with any kind of anxiety and this really applies to what it is that you're doing Paul anxiety is a condition of the future you know i.e it hasn't happened yet and the images that we make in our mind, the little movies that we end up like running, we end up running really scary movies. That's right. I don't know about you, you know, whenever I've seen a scary movie, I don't want to see it again. So I don't. And the thing is, is maybe a lot of people aren't aware of the projectionist of your own movies is, of course, you. I'm sure this is stuff that you do with them anyway, Paul. Just learning Hang to... On, actually, just write that down. Yeah, <laughs> stick that down. <laughs> Episode th- 356. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's 
something that people can learn to do. Now, okay, yes, yeah, sometimes they need a little bit of help and guidance and some strategies to go along and work on, because it seems so simplistic, but it can be really simplistic because we are patterned creatures. Human beings like patterns. We mm. like modeling and we like to find out other ways. And in virtually every case with people that I've dealt with that have had a fear of flying, a phobia of flying, it's a learned behavior. They've yeah. learned it from um, a, a parent, a sibling, an aunt, an uncle, a, another kid that happened to be on the flight suddenly screamed when there was just a little bit of a little bit of turbulence. And they, they acquire uh, the state that they're in, but the, the, but the brain locks it in like a muscle memory, like we would, you know, when we're going down to find mm. the gear in our car and it just gets locked in. But because it's a muscle memory, then we can unlock it and there's always a way around it. But the, the things that you do now with Love Flyer and your experiences, Paul, can get people to understand that it doesn't matter what it is you think you've got. I've dealt with this before. <laughs> this, yeah. this is this is quite normal. And yet, okay, a few people have had some times where it has been, they've had a challenging flight for a number of different reasons, but we still got to understand it is still the most safe form of getting around the world. And I know we're limited at the moment, but let's hope that we can really start uh, getting around and about a lot more. Thank you. The If someone was to come to a Jeff Rolls and they had one of these phobias, not just fear of flying, but any other sort of fear. How long do you think using just if you just I know you use lots of stuff, but if you were just using NLP, what do you think would be a typical turnaround for someone to experience a loss of anxiety or a loss of fear? Five minutes. I know it sounds ridiculous. And actually, of course, I'm going to have someone here a lot longer. To actually find out how someone does their fear, their phobia, their anxiety is where the skill of NLP comes in. And again, you'll know this from what you learned. Questions that we pose are designed to get us to pay attention to how somebody does something, not why they do it. And, and, and the thing is, is everybody will do it ever so slightly differently. And what that also then means is that no two people I would ever deal with the same way because the way in which they perceive their fear will be very peculiar to them. And what we've also got to remember is that sometimes for some fears and phobias for some people, you've got to remember that they've, they've been doing a really important job in terms of allowing them to maybe feel safe. So it's so important that rather than seeking to take something away, the job is to recognize what's there, get them to re-engineer what's there and put something else in its place. And one of the other things that I think is really good to bear in mind, and this maybe flies in the face of maybe what some of my other colleagues say, I don't cure anybody of anything. I don't change anybody. My job is if you come and spend some time with me, is for me to facilitate some kind of change. And facilitate, I love as a verb because from the French word facile, easy, uh, make something as easy as possible because really any of us that do NLP and have done a lot of it like I have done, our job is to educate you, not to be a therapist or to do NLP to you or on you. Our job is to share NLP with you so that you learn that when you leave, you've got a number of different skills and techniques. I often send people away with homework, but unlike you know the kind of homework we would have got at school, 
they're one I know they can do it because they'll have done it in the room with me and then they can go along and practice it they can practice it when they're on the you know in the departure lounge they can practice it while they're just walking along the air bridge they can practice it as they enjoy taking off and enjoy the care and support that you get from the air crew who are really bloody good at doing their job and just actually enjoy the process of actually traveling from one place to another i just love listening to you jeff i've, I've noticed i've my breathing rate has dropped and i'm concerned that you've dropped in some sort of suggestion that when i go downstairs and talk to my family that I'm going to do something weird. So can you just reassure me nothing weird has happened? Because I know just you can just hold the banister, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and if necessary, go down on your bum one step at a time. And then we yeah. know that everything's okay. I'll send you a message later on. Make sure you're downstairs. Okay? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. That's so right. uh, this has been amazing. I mean, I think that people who want to know a little bit more about NLP, there's, so there's two things I think would be useful to sort of finish off this. So people just want to learn about NLP generally and or want to come and get some help from you. What, what would be the best way for them to get in touch with you? Right. So uh, in, in getting con in contact with me, you can go onto my website, which is www.headintobalance.com and you'll, you'll find me on there and, and a way of contacting me. If you'd like to learn to do some NLP and you'd like to learn with me and my colleague June, who I've worked with for many years, and I know you know really well as well, Paul, we've been working together for the last 14 years, teaching wow. and training. Wow, NLP. really? 14 yeah, years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Teaching people for a practitioner, a master practitioner, and you want to come along and do a smaller course where we create and tailor the course for the group that are there. One of the most important things we ever do when we run a, an NLP seminar, and this could even be for an introduction seminar day as well, is we find out, we go around the room, find out everybody's name, one so that then we can remember the name because your name is your most personal possession. It's important that we use it and we spell it right and it sounds right. But the most important thing that we do is we ask you, so what do you want? You know, what do you want out of this day? What do you want out of this week-long mm. course? Because it's all very well saying, oh, I'd like to learn NLP. Well, great, yeah, but what do you want to learn it for? What do you want to take home with you? What do you want to bring into your business? Or what do you want to bring into your familial situation that enables you to communicate differently? And we say to people, look, this, this is our menu. This is our menu for the week. It enables June and I to share the uh the, yeah, the whole course with you that we know that we need to share with you but we will do it in the way that's most appropriate for you as the participants because what's the point of us just steamrolling through but you might as well just buy a book and read it nlp is meant to be experiential uh, you know you get your best learning when you're there and you're working with other people that maybe you haven't even worked with before i know people that have come along and done our course and become lifelong friends in fact we've got a we've got a couple that uh, had a civil partnership um you know they didn't want to get married but they had a civil partnership and so you know it was absolutely wonderful and this all happened because they came along and they wanted to learn things now i can't guarantee you'll get married or have a civil partnership necessarily because you might need to go to other places. That's not, that that's not a service that you're currently offering. Well, not, not currently offering. That might be in the 2022 offer. Yeah, so we, but I, the I, demand I, I is there. That. If the yeah. demand's there, we'll, we'll, we'll run it. Uh, I mean, of course, yeah, the idea is do what you need to go along and do. But what I also would say is if you want to learn how to do it, make sure you talk to the people that are running the course. And myself, 
speaking on behalf of James, I'm sure she won't mind this, would say, we will always talk to you. We will not charge for our time. It's really important for you, if you're going to be spending a lot of time, a fair bit of money to learn how to do it, to make sure that you make sure the chemistry is right so you feel comfortable. Because we would rather make sure that people want to go along and do it. So we don't take people who are put on a course because we say we want people to choose to come on yeah, the course. Exactly. Uh, and if people choose to come along on a course, then that makes life an awful lot easier for them in any case. But feel free to contact me uh, via yeah, www.headintobalance.com and I'll be more than happy to speak further with you, just to communicate with you how which way you like to communicate. Now, I love that website as well because I, it's very clever. I did think about it. Yeah, you and did. my wife definitely. helped with that as well. Yeah, but I can take no credit. Lovefly was my partner. She came up with that. There you go. Um, and, and that's uh, why we married them, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, because they, you know, they can talk, they talk sense. They do. We don't. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Head into balance. So there you go. So if you want a bit more of Jeff, what he's got to do, very experienced guy, brilliant, generous with his time. And I've just seen some remarkable turnarounds of people that, you know, even people with the highest anxiety, a few minutes of Jeff just talking to them. And then they're getting on flights, which is just phenomenal. So, yeah, you're, you're highly skilled, very modest. And I'm still very worried about going down the stairs in case you've done something to me and I'm not aware of it. Well, make sure you drink a glass of water beforehand. All right. Actually, I did promise you one other technique, didn't oh, I? Oh, yeah, so go on. Let's take a, a couple of seconds. I, I did promise it. This is something to do with where our eyes move. Now, normally, when we experience a feeling, and again, for the listener, they, they might, if you just like check in with a feeling that maybe you've got that doesn't feel so comfortable at the moment, it doesn't have to be in relation to flying, but that might help. But just notice where the feeling is and notice how it feels. And you might notice that your eyes have actually moved down, maybe slightly to the right. And that's okay. Now, what I want you to do is just keep your head straight but I want you now to move your eyes directly upwards and imagine that on the roof of your head, you've got like a roof light, almost like one of those Velux windows. And just keep looking, 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 look through that light, keep looking through that. And then all the time you're looking at that, now notice what's happened to the feeling. Because it can't work when you're looking up. Your eyes have to move down in order for you to experience a feeling. It's a little band-aid if you like it's something sometimes just to take the edge off a particular yeah. situation it's all to do with something we call in nlp eye accessing cues but the eye accessing cues give away way more than we think they do and mm -hmm. certainly the position of the eyes and what you do with them can make a bit of a difference as well so go along maybe practice that practice switching off your internal dialogue it's going to get a lot quieter in your lives hopefully but maybe that means you can listen to a lot more and listen to maybe people you want to listen to Jeff, absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Pleasure.